It's been very rich to be here this morning, to hear what the Lord has been sharing with us. It's a, a pleasure also for to be here to partake in in the service with you. However, um, I need your prayers to be able to get through this morning. I've been really struggling with a, a cough. Um, but with your prayers, I think, and the Lord's help, we will get through. Um, this morning, we heard about overcoming. We also heard about the love of God. And I was... Uh, very glad to hear that. It really flows right in with my uh, meditations here as well. While Brent was sharing about overcoming, um, I had to think. You know what? Um, how's that? How does that verse go? Um, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Right? Faith is the victory that overcometh the world. And as he gave the example of David and and many other examples there, everything basically boils back down to faith in God. Believing in the love of God that Myron was uh, expounding about as well. Believing that God loves us. Having that, that faith. And that's the line I would like to go down this morning. Faith. Talking about faith and and feelings, faith versus feelings, faith and feelings. <coughs> Excuse me. In Luke eighteen eight, we have this question that Jesus asked after he got done encouraging his disciples not to lose heart in prayer, but that they should be persistent in prayer. Jesus asked this question: When the Son of Man cometh? Shall he find faith on the earth? I'm not sure why Jesus asked that question. Did Jesus, was he thinking about the difficult times that his disciples would be facing? Was he thinking about the difficult times in the end times when, when uh, the scripture says that if those times wouldn't be shortened, even the elect would be deceived? Was he thinking about that? Or was he thinking about the times and ages that we're living in of such uh, physical and material prosperity that our, our eyes of faith, our spiritual eyes will grow dim? I don't know what Jesus was thinking about necessarily when, <coughs> when he asked that question. But certainly I think we can all agree in the day and age that we live in that true faith is hard to find. True faith is hard to find. You know, we as Christians, we know that there is a spiritual realm. We've been taught that. And that we need to live by faith. But many times, we end up living by our feelings. It's so easy to rely on our feelings. We can judge an event Largely by our feelings, or judge a sermon, or judge an activity by our feelings, which not always wrong. We can make very important decisions in our life, largely based on our feelings, which again sometimes is not wrong. Sometimes 
It could be wrong. We can even judge our spiritual condition based on our feelings. And that usually is wrong. You know, our feelings are a very important part of our lives. God gave us feelings for a reason. How would it be to live a life without emotions and feelings? It would be a very dull, dry, boring life. But God gave feelings for a reason. For us to enjoy. (coughs) For us to enjoy. Our feelings are important. The inner workings of the Spirit do affect how we feel. But many times we confuse our feelings with the work of the Spirit, especially when our faith is weak. So this morning we'd like to look at faith and feelings. First part of the message, I want to just focus on faith, what faith is. And I know this is not going to be anything new, something that I struggle with a lot in in trying to come up with a message is, is feeling like you don't have nothing new and exciting to share. Well, I have to realize that when we're preaching out of the Word of God, it doesn't matter. We're preaching the Word of God. So, bear with me. If this is all old stuff to you, great. But hopefully it can be an encouragement to someone here this morning. <coughs> Hebrews 11.6 We know that Hebrews is the... We call that the faith chapter. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says... But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. But without faith it is impossible to please God. That puts a very heavy importance on faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. And in Romans 14.23, we have another verse that puts a lot of weight on faith. It says, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. That was in the context of eating or not eating of meats. And so there's a lot of things in our Christian life that we can be doing, but if we're not doing it out of faith, it's actually no profit to us. It actually becomes sin to us. For whatever is not of <coughs> Excuse me. For whatever is not of faith is sin. You know, so we can see out of these two verses that faith is very important. In fact, it's vital to the Christian life. Sometimes we hear this statement that, that faith is a very important part of the Christian life. Well, that's actually a very incorrect statement. Because faith is not a part of the Christian life. Faith is the Christian life. Everything that the Christian life consists of has to come from faith. No faith, no Christian life. (coughs) But many times we see Christians, and many times it's young ones, not always, even some of us older ones struggle with it, grasping a hold of this faith. Sometimes we think that faith is some type of mystical thing that's high up in the, in the sky, and it's hard for us to, to really grasp the hold of it and w- what it is. 
You know, sometimes we think if we pray the right prayer or say the right thing or do the right thing, then somehow we will get faith. But that's not what faith is. Back in Hebrews 11, I think we'll read the first couple verses there. (coughs) Hebrews chapter 11. (coughs) Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The Amplify would say it this way. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title, deed, of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see, and the conviction of their reality perceived as real fact, what is not revealed to the senses. In other words, faith is just believing in the unseen realities that the Bible speaks about as being real fact. A strong conviction down deep in your heart that all the unseen spiritual realities that the Bible speaks about, you have a conviction that it is real fact. You know, we live in a a physical, material world. (coughs) Excuse me. We have senses that operate largely on the physical, material level. We have sight, we have hearing, touch, smell, taste. Scientists are finding out that this world, this physical world that we live in, is extremely complex. Daily, they are... Discovering new territories. And, and things are opening up to them in amazing ways with new technology and, 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 uh, and, uh, they're just discovering new territories in this world. Maybe be <coughs> the greatness of space and finding new territory out there or the other way down to, to the, the, the atoms and the, the molecules and the, and the electrons and, and so forth. They, they keep discovering new territory. But the more they discover of this physical world, it seems like it, the harder it is for them to grasp a hold of the idea that there are unseen spiritual realities. You know, they cannot, they cannot study God under a microscope. They cannot study the molecular structure of prayer under a microscope. They cannot measure God. They cannot measure the power of God. (coughs) And the more they discover in this physical world, it seems like the less they can comprehend the spiritual, the unseen spiritual realities. You know, heavenly realities are not subject to our sight or touch. But they are nonetheless real, and we must accept them by faith. We must accept them by faith. Faith is that strong, firm conviction, 
persuasion, whatever you want to call it, that the unseen realities that the Bible speaks about are fact. And also, <coughs> when we come to that, <coughs> that conclusion, that these unseen spiritual realities are fact, then we live our lives by them. We live our lives by them. We live our lives by those realities. Faith is basically very simple. So many times we complicate it. Faith is just taking the Word of God and believing it. Faith is a firm persuasion in spiritual realities. Faith is the firm persuasion that what God said in His Word is true. Faith is the firm persuasion that God is God. And what He said He's going to do, He will do. He will accomplish what He said He's going to do. Faith is that firm persuasion that God cannot lie. And all the spiritual laws that the Bible talks about are just as real as the physical laws. We can understand many of the physical laws, the natural physical laws, like the law of gravity, the law of inertia, the law of centrifugal force, and some of those things we can't see either, but we can see the effects of them very, very uh, vividly. But those unseen spiritual laws are just as real as these laws are. And we understand these natural laws. And we live our lives by them. We know that we cannot defy them. Now we know that we can defy some of these physical natural laws if we have a greater law that can defy it. In other words, the law... We, we know we can't deny, uh, defy the law of gravity unless we have the law of the thermodynamics in place. And then we can defy the law. But we, I say that because we know and we know how to live our lives according to these laws. And this morning, these unseen spiritual laws are as just as much a reality as the as those physical laws and we need to live and operate our lives by them Hebrews 11:6 I mentioned that already it is impossible to come or to please God come to God or to please him without faith why 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 can't we please God without faith <coughs> what's well, the simple fact that God is the ultimate unseen spiritual reality. None of us have seen God. He's the ultimate unseen spiritual reality. And if we don't have faith, we cannot even believe God. And that's why the sin, uh, unbelief, is such a wicked sin. God hates the sin of unbelief. Because with unbelief, there is no faith. And when we have unbelief, we are saying, God, you're not the God that you said you are in the Bible. You're not all-powerful. You're not all-seeing. You can't supply my needs. You're not big enough for my problems. That's what the sin of unbelief is. That's why it is impossible to come or to please God without faith. (coughs) 
But how do we get faith this morning? Just a very quick note on that. How do we get faith? I believe in Romans 10.17 it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I believe this morning that one of the most important ways faith will come to your heart is by the Word of God. There are other ways, but I think the Bible, the Scriptures, is the most important way that faith comes to us. So then faith cometh by hearing but and <coughs> and hearing by the Word of God. So the source of faith is the Word of God. And we must hear the Word of God. And I believe that's why preaching is such an important part of the Christian life. And I'm not just talking about preaching from behind the pulpit, but preaching the Word of God in testimony and witnessing one-on-one the Gospel being passed by mouth, on the job, or in the market, wherever. The Gospel being preached. That's how faith comes to people's hearts. You know, faith may start out weak, but as we hear the Word of God, many times it has a way of just strengthening our hearts and our lives in faith. Faith also is the fruit of the Spirit. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. And as we learn to walk in step with the Spirit, He will open our eyes up to more faith. And it's almost like a a snowball. The more you walk in faith, I mean, the more you walk in step with the Spirit, He reveals and opens your understanding of faith. And then you can walk in the Spirit more and it just grows and grows and grows. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. How much faith do we need? How much faith do we need? Sometimes we hear people say, well, you need more faith. Well, how much faith do I need? You need more faith. Uh, we need to pray and pray and pray and try to get more faith. How much faith do we need? <coughs> Matthew 17. Just a very familiar passage here. (coughs) But I think it's a beautiful picture of faith. Matthew 17. This is the account where Christ healed the demonic son. Matthew 17. And I'm just, I think you just know the account well. You know, the disciples tried to cast it out. <coughs> Excuse me. Cast the demon out. But they weren't successful. And the Father brings them to Jesus. And in verse 20. Let's see if I find my place here. The disciples actually came to Jesus afterward and said, Jesus, why couldn't we cast him out? In verse 20. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your Unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, and we talk about having a lot of faith, or we need more faith. Well, a grain of mustard seed is 
The Scriptures calls the mustard seed the, the least of all the seeds, of all the herb seeds. So it's a very, 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 very tiny seed. But I believe what it's referring to here yet in this account here is that even though that that is a very tiny seed, within that seed there is a power and there is a strength that lies within inside that little seed that when that seed sprouts, it grows, the mustard seed grows to be a fairly large bush. To actually to be one of the, the biggest herb plants probably. I'm not real familiar with all the herbs, but a lot of the herbs, the way I understand it, are small grass type plants and stuff. But the mustard seed grows to a fairly large bush, but yet it starts out as the smallest of all the seeds. There's a power, there's a strength that lies down deep inside that little seed. Some life, some strength. So I would like to think this morning, what it might be suggesting here is that we do not need, we don't need to think, we need to understand all the unseen spiritual realities that the Bible speaks about. We don't need to have a full comprehensive understanding of all, <coughs> all the things about God and, 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 um, his attributes and, and how the Christian life all works together. But we just need to have that strong, that small, strong faith in Him. And He will take it from there and cause it to grow. Over in Mark 9... It's the, the same account. <coughs> I like to look at something over there. Mark gives a little bit of a different picture. Mark 9. Verses, uh, what's well, the whole account is from like from 17 to 29. But you remember the count how, how, uh, <coughs> the father brought the son to Jesus. And, uh, and he, uh, Jesus said, what do you want me to do? And he said, well, I want my son healed. And Jesus said in verse 23, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Verse 24, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. That almost sounds like a, a contradicting statement there. Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. I believe he was just saying what Jesus said about the mustard seed. I believe this father had a true, sincere, genuine faith in the fact that Jesus could heal his son. But yet he didn't know how. He didn't understand how Christ can do it and how He can go about it. He didn't understand all those things. So, so deep down inside, there's some questioning like we all have. He said, Lord, I believe and help thou mine unbelief. And I think it can come to the Scriptures in that way. The truths that God reveals to us. We can say, Lord, I believe. 
but help thou my unbelief. And we can have a strong, sincere faith like a grain of mustard seed. I think it will sprout and it will grow into a large, beautiful plant. So how much faith do we need? (coughs) Another beautiful account that... uh, It's one of my favorites about faith is in Matthew, Matthew 8. Another very familiar account, Matthew 8, verse 5. <coughs> I think I'll read a couple of verses here. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of, grievous, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto him, them that followed. Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Here Jesus commended this Roman centurion for his great faith. And what great faith did a Roman centurion have? Mind you, this was a Roman centurion. He was not a Jew. He was not a, a student of the law. He was a Roman centurion. A heathen. But Jesus commended him for his great faith. And what I believe what, what this Roman centurion understood here, he understood how authority works. He realized that he had authority because someone gave him authority. Someone else invested authority into him and gave him authority. And now since he has his authority... He can say to his men, go and they go, and come and they come. He can say, kill and they will kill, or save and they will save. And he can even take a Jewish boy off the street and say, carry my bags a mile. And they will pick his bags and carry him a mile, because he has authority. When he spoke, things happened. What does that have to do with faith? we look back in verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Basically, I think he, and then he goes into the whole uh, discourse about his authority. He was saying, Lord, I believe you have all authority. And all you have to do is speak the word. And it will happen. That's what he's saying here. He realized that Jesus has all authority. And he said, Lord, all you have to do is speak the word and it will happen. Just like when I speak the word in the physical sense to my men, things happen. You, Jesus, have all authority. And when you speak, it will happen. And Jesus saw that and said, I have not saw such a great a faith, 
No, not in Israel. So how much faith do we need? This centurion didn't understand all the attributes of God. He didn't understand (coughs) all the unseen spiritual realities that the Bible speaks about. He may only understood this one thing, that Jesus has all authority. But he had a complete conviction down in his heart that Jesus had all authority. And when we have that in our hearts, that's when things will start happening in our lives. So no, we don't need to understand everything. We don't feel like we need to be, be a, a, uh, a highly educated Bible teacher to be able to truly grasp what faith is. It's just taking the simple principles of the Word of God and believing them with a strong conviction and then living your life by it. And then living your life by it. Like Noah in Hebrews 11. <coughs> Back into Hebrews 11. We know the, the verses about Noah. Verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Noah was, <coughs> excuse me, Noah was moved with fear because of the faith that he had of what God said. God said that judgment is coming to this earth, and Noah believed it. And he moved with fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his house. Do we believe what God says? Do we truly have faith? Are we being moved like Noah to prepare an ark for the saving of our homes, our families, our lives? So that's the faith. It's just taking a simple truth in God's Word, even though it's an unseen spiritual reality, just like the Roman centurion and realizing that Jesus, you have all authority. And live your life accordingly. Brother Tim was up at Harmony a couple weeks back and he preached a message about uh, the Great Commission (coughs) relating to um, the resurrection. And he talked about that all authority Christ had. And when we can get, the, get a hold of that faith, that Christ has all authority, things will happen in our lives. Okay, so that's faith. Now, let's look at some feelings. <coughs> now we looked at faith. Let's look at some feelings. What do we mean by feeling? We're not talking about the feeling of touch, our physical sense of touch, but we're rather talking about our emotions. The moods within us that give us color to our lives, that give us color to our what we say or what we do. You know, feelings... <coughs> excuse me. 
Feelings are a very powerful force in our lives. You know, we like the feeling, the feelings of peace, happiness, joy, confidence, security. Those are all feelings and emotions that we like to have. But then there's feelings of discouragement, fear, doubt, guilt. We don't like those feelings. But many times, we find some of these feelings end up controlling us. We start living our lives by these feelings. And these feelings start dictating us and controlling us. (coughs) These emotions, they're deeper than our physical senses. And because they're deeper than our physical senses, sometimes we mistake them for what is even deeper still. And that's the work of the Spirit in, of uh, the Spirit of God in our lives. And for many of us, we tend, or it's so easy for us to start just living by our feelings rather than by faith. So we would like to look at a few feelings that tend to control some of us. (coughs) And see that how if we live by faith rather than our feelings, it will help us not to be brought under bondage and the control of some of those feelings and emotions. You know, if we live by our feelings, our lives will be very unstable. Up and down, back and forth, feeling good one day, feeling bad the next, feeling like a Christian one day, feeling like a failure the next day, tossed about like the waves in every direction, a very miserable life. God has a better way, and that's the way of faith. So that's the first feeling we like to look at is the feeling of death. (laughs) <coughs> Excuse me. The feeling of discouragement. The feeling of discouragement. Have you ever felt discouraged? I think most people, if they're honest, would have to say yes. Sometimes discouragement hits. Some struggle with it more than others, but I think probably everybody, if they're honest, could say at least once in a while in their life, they face up with discouragement. And we can look at some mighty men in the Scriptures that face discouragement. We could think of Elisha. After he had that great victory on Mount Carmel, and he faced discouragement. Moses (coughs) felt discouraged when God asked him to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses saw that great task And it overwhelmed him and discouraged him. Jeremiah had the same effect. When God came to him and asked him to be a a prophet to a rebellious people, Jeremiah said, I can't speak. I can't do it. He was discouraged. The ten spies. 
All they saw was the walled cities and the big giants in the land. And they became discouraged. And we can look, <coughs> we can look at many, many other characters that face discouragement. And almost all of them have the same thing in common. And that is that discouragement is the result of comparing a difficult task with inadequate resources. Discouragement is the result of comparing a difficult task with inadequate resources. All these men that we just looked at, they saw the huge task that God was giving them to do. And they looked at themselves and their little army and they became discouraged. And when we see a great task and we look to ourselves and to our people to get us through that, usually that ends in discouragement. But you know, God was not asking them to do the job alone. None of these God asked Him to do the job alone. He made it clear to everyone that I will be with you. He told the tens... The, the, the spy <coughs> excuse me <coughs> he told the spies to go up and possess the land for i will give it to you i will drive your enemies out i'm going with you but they failed to see that all they saw was the walled cities the giants and themselves and their little army and they became discouraged but joshua and caleb They said, let us go up and possess the land, for the Lord will deliver it into our hands. Joshua and Caleb, they saw the unseen spiritual realities. And they had faith that God would do what He said He would do. Joshua and Caleb had faith. Courage is the result. (coughs) Excuse me. Courage is the result of believing that God is with me in the task He has given me to do. So the next time you're faced with discouragement, instead of looking at the great task or the great thing that's in front of you that's causing discouragement, and instead of looking at yourself and trying to find it within yourself to meet that, have faith in God. We heard this morning that God will not give us anything that we can't handle. God will never give us a temptation greater than we can handle. And we need to believe that by faith. And then courage can rise in our hearts. There is no room for discouragement when we take God at His Word and we believe in God, in the spiritual realities that God talks about. That God will supply all our needs. That God has made a way through every temptation. That all things work together for good to them that please Him. Even if something unkind or not nice does happen to us, God is still going to use it for our good. And if we can trust Him in faith in that discouragement, has to flee. <clears throat> what about fear? Fear is another fear, a feeling, 
emotional feeling that keeps people bound for years. It keeps us from doing what God wants us to do. <coughs> Remember Elisha and his servant. Servant, when they woke up in the city in the morning and the servant looked out and he saw the hosts, the army camping all around the city and he cried out, Master, what are we going to do? They're here to get us. What did Elisha do? Did Elisha pray <coughs> that the hosts, those armies, would leave? Did he pray that they would be destroyed? Did he pray that somehow that God would help them through them, uh, help them through this situation? No, Elisha just prayed a simple prayer for his servant. And you know what it was? It was a prayer that just asked God to reveal the unseen spiritual realities. That's all it was. Elisha just prayed and said, Oh God, let this young man see what's out there. And just like that, the young man saw the Lord's hosts, and fear vanished. Because he saw the protection that he had. And if we, by faith, can see those unseen spiritual realities, fear will vanish. Fear will vanish. Now saying all this, I'm not, I do not want to paint a picture that if we have true faith, we will never struggle with these issues of fear and discouragement, and other feelings. They're real. They will always be part of our life. But what my burden is this morning is that we would not allow these feelings and these emotions to control us and to keep us in bondage, but rather that we would look to God in faith and see His... (coughs) to see what He has available for us. Fear is the emotional result of facing danger or great difficulty without a sense of protection. They, Elijah's servant saw this great danger that he was in, and he felt no protection. He just looked at him and Elijah, and was like, what are we going to do? There's nothing we can do. But confidence is the realization that those who follow God's will are protected by God's hand. You know, if we are firmly persuaded, <coughs> excuse me, if we are firmly persuaded that God will protect us and that He will not allow anything to happen to us outside of His will, you know, there's no place for fear. We can have peace. We can have confidence. I thought about Romans 8. I think I'll read a couple of verses in Romans 8. Some beautiful verses. And if we could get a hold of these by faith. Romans 8, verses 31. For what shall we say then? You just look at these verses through the eye of faith and have strong confidence that God can do this for us. <coughs> if we, if, what shall we say then to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? 
He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who hath made, who also maketh intercession for us. Whoso separate us from the love of Christ, so tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or sword, and as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors, overcomers, more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this morning we heard a lot about being overcomers. And we heard a lot about the love of God. And it's all right in this verse. And we can have faith this morning that God will do here what He said He will do. And fear has to leave. <coughs> Let's quickly look at another <coughs> emotion or feeling or whatever you want to call it. It will be the last one we look at. But I think it's a an important one that we touch on. And that's the feeling of guilt. The feeling of guilt. Now, some of us may struggle with guilty feelings, or maybe a better word, but we're going to, we're going to call it guilt this morning, but maybe it'd be better termed as condemnation. Struggle with guilty feelings, even though that they have repented, even though that as far as they know, their life is clear before God, they continue to feel condemned or just always never sure and always have a little sense of guilt in their heart. (coughs) You know, we cannot see our sins being forgiven. We cannot see God taking our sins and removing them as far as from the east as from the west. Therefore, the removal of our sins is something we must accept by faith. And not by feelings. If we depend on our feelings to know whether we have been forgiven, we will struggle and struggle and struggle. We need to accept it by faith. But I must quickly clarify this morning the difference between the condition of guilt and the feeling of guilt. There's a big difference between the condition of guilt and the feeling of guilt. You know, there are many people in this world today that can commit heinous crimes and walk away and never feel guilty. 
that does not mean they're not guilty. They are under the condition of guilt. The Scripture is clear that we have all sinned and we have all become guilty before God. So that means all of us, whether we feel guilty or not, (coughs) sometime or other in our life, all of us have faced the condition of guilt or either we're still in that condition of guilt. And it does not depend on how we feel about it. According to the Bible, all have sinned and therefore all have experienced the condition of guilt. Feelings of guilt often accompany the condition of guilt. And that's a beautiful thing. When we actually feel guilty, if we are guilty, if we're in a condition of guilt. It's what makes the sinner miserable. Especially when he hears the truth. The feeling of guilt, (coughs) excuse me, the feeling of guilt is often what drives, eventually drives the sinner to his knees in repentance. The feeling of guilt. So, the condition of guilt and the feeling of guilt do work together. But just because you don't feel guilty this morning does not mean you're not. Likewise, just because you may feel guilty this morning does not mean you are guilty. You know, Satan loves to misrepresent, uh, misrepresent truth. He's a mastermind at it. And he loves to take truth and twist it and lead us astray, lead us into error. For example, Satan loves to throw up at some people about their unworthiness of God's love. You're unworthy of God's forgiveness. You were too bad. God couldn't forgive you. And that is so very, very true. But we should never allow Satan to use that to allow guilt to come upon us and think that, oh, I was a bad person and I'm unworthy of God's forgiveness. Instead, that should cause our hearts to rise up in thankfulness and praise because that's what makes God's salvation so great and so wonderful is the fact that we are unworthy of His forgiveness. But many of us sometimes, when we, we know we have been saved, we know we have been forgiven, and some, through, through changes of events, something happens and we get discouraged, or, or, or we have a failure and we start feeling guilty, and, <coughs> and all of a sudden we feel this guilt coming over us, and, and, and we, all of a sudden we start questioning the whole thing about salvation? Am I been born again? Am I right? Am I not? When those things happen, now of course if you have sinned and failed, we need to make those things right. But if, as far as you know that you are living with a clear heaven over your life, you have repented, and you ask God to forgive you, forgiveness is not 
based on how we feel. Forgiveness is based on God's Word. That God said He would forgive us. And He will. We can look at, for sake of time, I don't think I will. We can look at Colossians 2.13. We can look at 1 John 2.12. And we can look at a number of different verses where it talks about how God has forgiven you. Some You were sometimes like this, but now you're like this because God has forgiven you. And if you have repented, and if you have asked God to forgive you, and as much as you know of you're living with a clear life, nothing between Him and you, you are forgiven. And you can have that confidence that God has forgiven you. Forgiveness is also based on the shed blood of Jesus. We could turn to Hebrews 12, 13 and 14. If God received the blood of animals under the Old Testament, will He not much more receive the blood of His own Son as full atonement for your sins? And this morning, if you're one that struggles with condemnation or guilt or not knowing if God has forgiven you, I just ask for you that you would just get a hold of that simple faith, that little grain of mustard seed in this area. And that you can have a strong conviction down in your heart that God has forgiven me because of the work of Jesus And because He said He has forgiven me. And not because I feel like I have been forgiven. If I would depend on my feelings in this area, I would be very wishy-washy. Praise God this morning we can have confidence in the fact that God has forgiven us. And we can live a victorious life. We can live an overcoming life because of this. The ability, (coughs) I'm sorry, (coughs) if we have a firm persuasion about what the Bible says about sin, repentance, and Christ's atoning work, and His forgiveness, and we're living our lives by those unseen realities, unseen spiritualities, we can have full assurance of salvation this morning. We don't need to live under condemnation we don't need to live under guilt. We don't need to live under fear. We don't need to live under discouragement. But we can be free. And it's by faith this morning. It's all by faith. So I hope this can be a little encouragement to someone here this morning that instead of judging your own life, your own spiritual condition by how you feel, You would rather look at God's Word and hear and believe what He says about it. May God bless you.